Of course. Uh, you know, as soon as we become Christians, all our problems end, right? <clears throat> but I found that um, some of mine uh, crept back in. Uh, and uh, I think where my heart, and particularly where my mind hadn't been renewed, as it says in the scripture, I was prone to temptation in areas where, where I thought I dealt with. Um, I mean, in the book, I talk, you know, I was addicted to many things through my life from a very young age. I didn't grow up in, around the church. Um, you know, some of the story, I think I shared it last time, uh, exposed to all sorts of things, drugs, alcohol, very young, 14, 15, I was getting heavily involved in stuff. Um, and by the time I was 18, I was, I was taking cocaine and, uh, you know, before breakfast, I, I was, I was fairly seriously out of my depth and, um, had to deal with that, especially later on when I, when I came to know the Lord, when I was 27. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Smart people learn from their mistakes. Wise people learn from the mistakes of others. I would say the best time to deal with an addiction is before you have one, to recognize the signs at the very beginning. I believe today's episode is going to be a blessing to all of you. Lift off when the clock has started. Our guest today is Peter Jones. Peter is no stranger to some of you because he's already been on the podcast in this calendar year. But since that podcast, Peter has dropped a new book called King of the Castle, The Way Out for Christian Men with Addictions. And I'm really excited to have him on our show and begin to discuss this book so that you can go and pick up a copy for yourself or a friend. So welcome to the show today, Peter. Thanks, Ron. Great to be back with you. And uh, yeah, it's, I'm excited. Thanks for the opportunity. It's my pleasure. Last time we did speak, I remember our pre-show, you were just on fire with this revelation that you'd been given, this insight that you'd been given. And I remember the passion. We probably talked 20 minutes straight, maybe a half an hour. And I was just so cool. And you were just telling me that you were going to put this in a book. Talk to me a little bit about, about that burden that God placed on your heart. Yeah, it, I mean, this sort of came out of lockdown for me. I, I have a, a mentor who I, who I was working with, uh, and we were talking, and he said, "Why don't you just journal your your story, your your you know your journey, your past, if you like, and, and get where you are now?" And I started doing that, and I sort of I wrote. Five, I had a couple of weeks off over Easter. Yeah. Um, I wrote sort of five hundred words and a thousand words, and then three thousand words and five thousand. I went, wait a minute, this is developing into something else than just a, a, a sort of running commentary or, you know, a, a journal of what happened. And at some point in that process, I felt like the Lord gave me a, a kind of uh, an analogy to shape this around, which is the castle, which we'll obviously talk a little bit more about. But, and, I, and I honestly can't remember when that point was, but I remember <clears throat> getting the picture of it clearly in my mind. I had a chessboard in my house and I started arranging the pieces on the chessboard as I was writing this thinking this is kind of standing up I, I, I should develop this so that that's what happened and it turned into a not a long book because I want men to read it um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a short book <clears throat> you could read it between you know you could read it in, a, in an afternoon session between football games or something. but uh, it, it's I think it's it's uh, got some real value in it yeah. So talk to me a little bit about and, and give people some perspective of, of, of the purpose. Like you said, it says, you know, the way out for Christian men with addiction. So that's very specific. And I love that because there are things out there about addictions, but do Christian men really get addictions? Like, aren't they already free from all trouble in life? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, as soon as we become Christians, all our problems end, right? But I found that um, some of mine uh, crept back in. Uh, and uh, I think where my heart, and particularly where my mind hadn't been renewed, it says in the scripture, I was prone to temptation in areas where, where I thought I dealt with. Um, I mean, in the book, I talk, you know, I was addicted to many things 
in my life from a very young age. I didn't grow up in, around the church. Um, you know, some of the story I think I said it last time. Uh, exposed to all sorts of things, drugs, alcohol, very young, 14, 15, I was getting heavily involved in stuff. Um, and by the time I was 18, I was, I was taking cocaine and, you know, before breakfast, I, I was, I was very seriously out of my depth and, um, had to deal with that, especially later on when I, when I came to know the Lord, when I was 27 and there was a real break in all of that when he really, he really saved me. <laughs> there really was a work of salvation and we talked talk about that in the last podcast. That's okay. I know some of the people will not have heard that one. So don't, yeah. don't feel bad about kind of breaking some of that open if you feel led. But... So, so yeah, I was just um, living a dissolute lifestyle completely. And um, uh, at the age of 27, the, the Lord stepped into my life and really changed things dramatically kind of overnight. And, and for a long time, I, that stuff just all disappeared from my life. And but what I found out later was, you know, a few years later, um, some of it crept back in. And I had to deal with that stuff again as a Christian, which is actually more difficult in a way because there's kind of more guilt, more shame. You know, if you're doing things in the dark, um, I hadn't, I hadn't had a drink for 10 years. I hadn't take, obviously taken any drugs or I had a cigarette for like 10, 12 years. I was married. I had children, but the, the temptation stuff started coming back, particularly with the kind of visual stuff, um, you know, stuff on TV, stuff on, on social media. Um, was creeping back in and leading my heart astray. I think that's what I would say. It was, it was, it was, I knew I was like in the wrong part of town <laughs> spiritually. And so, uh, but then you, you end up leading this kind of double life, uh, this compartmentalized life that you have to deal with it somehow, you know, you're doing church on Sunday and the rest of the week and you, but you've got these inner battles going on. And I think that's, I think that's common to a lot of men particularly and women, but um, this kind of uh, dealing with this addictive behavior, really, really difficult. Um, we know it is the problem that the world is dealing with, but I just wanted to write something for, particularly for Christian men, cause that's who I am as you know, you write what you know and, and how God gave me, a, a um, a kind of roadmap about how this stuff gets into our lives, but also a roadmap, a roadmap, how, how you walk it out mm-hmm. in your life. So rather than me coming out of addiction, I'm getting addiction out of me. You know? And it's a bit like the Egyptians, you know, they, they, God took the Israelites out of Egypt, but then he had to spend quite a lot of time getting Egypt out of Egypt, out of, out of the Israelites. <laughs> and so, so it's that kind of, uh, that's the journey that this, this book, King of the Castle, takes you on. I love that. I love that. And so when you consider writing this book, what, what did that do for you as you were writing it? recognizing i guess that it's it's actually not just for you like yeah where does that revelation like you you mentioned it was becoming more than that because of the amount of words but that yeah. wouldn't be easy to share those that, that your inner life with people but so where does tell me a little bit about well that? god so the, the book is kind of in in two streams one is my own story which i weave throughout the whole book as a kind of grounding to the to the metaphor to the analogy of the castle but the other is the, the, the idea of this castle, that we have, we are a castle. <laughs> and um, but God gave me the kind of framework, which gives you principles that anybody can use, mm. um, this idea of, of the castle. And then my own story kind of gives an illustration of what that looked like for me. So, so mm. that, that's, I think that's why the book is useful, because God was, at the same time as I was kind of retelling my story, I was putting it around a shape, a framework, that anybody can relate to. So I think what I think what the Lord. I mean, I've, I spend a lot of lockdown looking, actually looking at the Old Testament, and um, I realized that there's a there's a scary scripture in the Old Testament when God is speaking to Cain just before He kills Abel, and He says, "Sin is crouching at your door, which is to have you master." Mm. It's a chilling scripture. Mm. And he doesn't master it, and sin has it. It, it, it has. And what I realize that addiction is not just something we do or something we can't stop doing. It's a strategy of the enemy to keep us from finding out who we really are, from keeping 
keeping us from our destiny. And if you look at the, the language around sin, mm-hmm. especially in Romans 6, it talks about sin being a strategic. It wants to be on the throne. It wants to rule your life. It's a very active thing. It's not something you're doing, actually. It's something, I'm not saying we don't sin. Bear yes. with me here. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's something that the enemy of our souls, Satan, uses very strategically against us to take us off track, hmm. to distract us from the walk that God has for us. It's a very strategic thing. So the fact that you have, as a Christian, you have, if you're dealing with an addiction, it might point to the fact that there's greatness in you that the enemy is really terrified of, <laughs> that you may not even know about. But this, I think this is being used to derail multitudes of men in the church. I've got to be honest about that. The research is chilling about them. If you take pornography, the, the statistics are fairly frightening. Look at the Barna research. One in three men in the church, 2016, actively searching pornography on a weekly basis. That's that's a very frightening statistic. So <laughs> it, this is an issue. So God, so God gave me this this kind of uh, understand. I mean, it's it's not a new understanding. It's in the Bible. I just read in the Bible. There's, there's something more going on than me just trying to resist things and not being able to deal with them. And, and at the same time, gave me this analogy of the castle. So he showed me that I'm like a castle. So I've got walls around me. That's how I interact with the world. I need protection. The, the gates of the castle are my five senses. That's how the world gets in and out. So I've got skin gate, eye gate, ear gate, nose gate, mouth gate. And the, the handles are on the inside. So I open those castle yeah. gates. And allow that world to influence me or not. And in the outer courts of the castle is the soul realm. So you've got your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your, your, your will is the gatekeeper. How do you make good decisions? What do you actually open the gate to? And what do you close it to? Your emotions are where your feelings come from. And your mind is obviously controls your thinking. Then you've got the, the keep of the castle, a castle within a castle which is like your heart, not the organ that pumps the blood around your system, but the, the seat of your affections. What do you love? I think it's where your conscience sits as well. It's where you tell right from wrong. It's where you're at peace with God or not. And right at the center of the keep is the throne room, which is your spirit. And that is where all the source of love, power, peace, joy comes from. It's where, in the ideal world, Jesus should be king of the castle. <laughs> okay, but sin is trying to get in through the gates, through your senses. Trying usually after your emotions first. It's the easiest way in. As a young man, fourteen, fifteen, I was very emotional. Uh, temptation went straight from my emotions. If it feels good, do it. That kind of thing. Mm. And you bypass your gatekeeper. You say, "No, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to obey my emotions." So your gatekeeper becomes emaciated, what I would call drunk at his post, not really doing his job. Your emotions are overfed and, and underqualified, but they're opening the gates. And your mind then has an issue. How do you explain this behavior? Because you're still being influenced by your heart and your conscience. Your mind has to, what, what happens is you're, you're under attack and there's a breach in the castle. And the, the enemy starts getting a foothold in your emotions and then starts to create a stronghold in your mind. And I think a stronghold is built when you create a narrative of thought, words, and behavior to defend the enemy activity in your past rather than to repel it. So now your mind's working out ways to actually defend what you're doing. And if you've ever been close to an addict or if you've been an addict, so you'll find that if you go near that stronghold, you know about it. They either flare up, yeah. you're walking on eggshells, or they disappear for three months, you don't see them. If you come near it, you'll know about it because they're defending a lie. Mm-hmm. It's a very blunt response that you get. If somebody's defending the truth, they will just use the truth just to touch you with it like a sword, and you'll know. 
if somebody's defending a lie, they, they've only got a shield and they just run at you with a shield and it's a personal attack. Very interesting. You can tell by the response you get whether somebody's defending, I mean, defending a lie or called the truth. So, so we build these strongholds, which are like little turrets in the, in the grounds of the castle that shouldn't be there. They create shadows. They create blind spots. Other lies come in. So every stronghold is built on a root lie. And if you don't deal with that lie, you'll be fighting the same battle again and again and again. So the enemy now has a stronghold in your castle of think, your own thinking. And then he goes after the heart. So wants to get, wants to make you fall in love with stuff that just shouldn't be in your heart. So I got to the age of 18. I was more in love with cocaine than I was with anybody around me. And I would sacrifice relationship to protect that. It was horrible. But my conscience is still talking to me. <laughs> so I've got this dilemma. I'm now, how do, I, how do I live with that? My conscience is saying this is wrong. Everything, every, my mind, my will, and my emotions are saying, go for it. This is, this is fun. This is great. This is who I am. And so this is what I do, rather. And so you've got this. So what do you do? You compartmentalize your life to live with this dichotomy, to live with this tension. So we end up, as Christians, we can end up having our kind of Sunday life and then our other life. <laughs> we lead a double life. And it's very dulling. It's very painful. It's very, your conscience can dull over time as well. And this is something that, that um, I've seen God do when people come close to God. And with me, I've seen it in many of the prison work I've done, guys who really conscious just doesn't function anymore. When they come close to God and the Holy Spirit starts influencing them, they start feeling bad about stuff they've done <laughs> the first time ever. Their conscience is coming alive. He's sharpening up that conscience again. It's like a knife on. It, it can tell right from wrong. It's very, very accurate. But if you go against it enough times, it just gets blunt. So you, you have to deal with the conscience. And then what happens is what the, what the enemy really wants to do is get on that throne right at the center of things and take over your identity. Now, as Christians, I believe the Holy Spirit is sealed within us. I don't think, even, you know, I don't think sin can actually change who we really are. He can't go after our spirit because I think that's really sealed with Christ. Our spirit is one with Christ. Of course, it's sealed. But he can go after our spirituality. He can go after our understanding of who we are and turn you into someone who's just broken, negative about themselves. And you'll never function in the way that you should do. You'll never be the person that God really made you to be because you, you're, you, he's been dethroned in your life. Mm. But that's the journey in. That's the first half of the book. Let me, let me just, let me, before you, before you switch over to the other part of the journey, I'd love to unpack some of this with you because my sure. mind's just blowing again. <laughs> um, a few things. One of them, like I, I almost came to tears when you talk about the mind finding ways to defend the enemy. Like that just breaks my heart, how our minds, and I've been guilty of it too, come up with excuses, reasons, yeah. rational logic to defend your position, even when we know it's not the right position. You know, actually, Peter, as I hear you talk about this, I think to myself, this conversation this book yes very appropriate uh for christian men to find a way out of their addictions but i'm not so sure this book wouldn't help a non-christian begin to understand mm. how they're hardwired and mm. and begin to realize holy cow there is a spiritual world out there i am affected by it and and maybe begin to recognize there is a god because the enemy's tactics is, are, are very clear as you break these things down. And if there's an enemy, then, then we also have a savior and, and, or, you know, the possibility of a God for those that might not mm -hmm. believe because their own experience will testify to the very truths that you're talking about. Yeah. I, I, I've, I thought about the next edition actually changing the, changing the subtitle, who's in charge of your life. Right. And just opening it up because a lot of women have read this book. Christian women yeah. said, and this is amazing. 
<laughs> and they bought it for the husband. They're not reading it for themselves. <laughs> um, so, so, but I know it's, it's broader than this. Uh, and I wanted to aim it specifically at this market. The, the, the trouble with aiming it here is that not many people want to write reviews about it because it kind of puts them in a bit of a box with their Christy Melman addiction. They don't want to write the name under the review. All right, I'll write fine. one for you. And all, all of our listeners write one to help Pete out here and let's get this book into people's hands. Well, the other thing I want to say too, like you yeah, talked yeah. about, um, you know, obeying our emotions. And I think about people who eat, like a lot of times people who overeat, yeah. eat emotionally. And so like just obeying your emotions is again, that can lead us on all kinds of places that create habits that aren't healthy and helpful and, yeah. and, and kind of attack our self-identity. So you can be addicted to fear. Right. Anxiety, having an anxious fear, you can, you can meditate on, on things that are fearful. You can't get them out of your mind. You cannot stop worrying. That's like addictive behavior because your mm. decision-making has been overrun by your emotion. Your thinking has been overrun. And I, I put it in the beginning of the book, you know, I, I, if you've had, if you're prone to fear, I mean, Jesus said, do not worry. And Paul says, do not be anxious. About anything, I think it was John Wimber who said it. Was he talking to humans? You know, it's just like we do. We all worry yeah, exactly. about stuff. We're all anxious about stuff. But but it comes to a point where sometimes people are just overrun by this stuff, and so they, they've they've lost control of part of their life, and it's not functioning the way that it should. Because uh, on the other hand, a lot of people who are addicted are actually trying to avoid emotions. Mm. They're masking them with, particularly if you've got uh, addictions that are particularly connected chemical based or produce chemicals in you that that you don't want to deal with the emotions you're feeling so that you use substances um to, to kind of overrule overrun them so that's the flip side to the emotions you you just you've got damaged emotions so right. all of this stuff <laughs> needs to be somehow dealt with and what what I mean, if we can move on to the kind of middle, yeah, please, yeah. What God showed me—I mean, I had a—I sort of, sort of had a crisis at some point in my life where God started showing me what was going on in my life. It was a very difficult period um, when you when you realize the truth and you go after those blind spots. <laughs> well, He goes after them. It's painful. I mean, it's really painful. Um, and you start, so the good news when you start coming out of addiction is you, is you start feeling stuff again. The bad news is that you start feeling stuff again. Right? So right. you've got to deal with that. It's very painful. And you have to process stuff that you've been avoiding. Um, but what, what God showed me is that, so here's the thing. We're, we're told, generally speaking, from the pulpit to resist temptation, to stand on the battlements, if you like, and just say no you know, to defend your castle. And it's all good advice. Uh, it's, it's great. Until you're tired and hungry. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the campaign in the 80, late 80s and 90s. Um, to say no? Correct. From America. I think it was Nancy Reagan. Bless her. Just mm -hmm. say no to drugs. Fantastic advice to young people. If you've never had a problem with drugs, that's great advice. But if you spent several weeks, months, years, creating that narrative where it's okay to just say yes, <laughs> that doesn't work. So standing mm -hmm. on the battlements, defending yourself from the world, if the world's behind you in the castle running riot, just doesn't work. So even those scriptures that you have not been tempted beyond what is common to man is powerful scripture. But scripture has to be mixed with faith, Paul says, to have effect. But the trouble is our faith in those scriptures has been weakened so much by our experience that the scripture stops having power in our lives. So you hear those scriptures and you just go, oh, this isn't helping me. It's not because God's word isn't powerful and the scripture isn't true. It's because our faith, we've lost our faith in it <laughs> because of our broken experience, our hundreds of broken disappointments in ourselves. So what God showed me is that it, when, you're, when you want to deal with addiction, you don't start on the battlement, on the edge of the castle. You start in the throne room. And you reverse the process by which those things got into your life. And when oh, yeah. Jesus was in the desert, you could say he was on the enemy's territory. He defended himself with scripture. 
Mm. And the devil, by the way, two of those temptations were if you are really, he was after his identity, if you are son of God, then do this, do that. And Jesus defended himself with scripture, which is what I was saying about the, you know, what we're told to do. But when Jesus was in the temple, which is his territory, and the, the wickedness of the world was getting in there. He didn't defend his position of scripture. He drove them out. Mm. He said, you're getting too close to the throne room here. <laughs> you're near the holy of holies, and you're turning this into a marketplace. I'm driving you out. And that's what he showed me. So he said, you've got to get into that throne room, establish who's the king of the castle in your life, and fight your battles from there. So when David fought Goliath, he took full responsibility for the battle, then he went straight to the king for authority. And if we're trying to fight battles without taking full responsibility and without the authority of the king, we'll lose every time. We're fighting in our own strength. So if you spend time in the throne room, laying your crown down <laughs> and saying, God, take the, take the throne in my castle and spend that time with him, you come out of that place, Ron, whether you, whether you, you know, if you, if you think how you feel just on a Sunday before and after Mass, it's different, isn't it? I feel different. Not always after, as after, different as I would like it to be, if uh, I'm honest. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, something has happened spiritually. We've been in the presence. Mm. We, we, That's true. No, you're we've right. We've been in the presence of each other in, in a holy environment and of God. True. Or whatever that place is, that, you know, that quiet place, the secret place the place you spend time with God, if we can spend time there, and this is a daily thing, by the way, this, this, especially at the beginning of this process, spend time there, being real with God in the light, receiving his blessing, his authority, his power. We then walk out and we say, God, now deal with my heart. The next thing outside the throne is the heart. We wash out, push out everything that shouldn't be there. I want my heart to be turned to you, not to the world. I want you to be the greatest influence on my heart, be the love of my life. The, the, the seat of my affection should be turned to you, not to the world. And then you go out into the grounds of the castle where you've got these, and then you can do some business. And you can push these things out through the gates in prayer. Tell them to go. Because now you've got authority from the king. You, you, you're, you're powered up, as it were. You, you know, you're standing on solid ground. You confess, you know, you've been in that confessional place with God. And it's a completely different place to fight your battles from. Because you'll be, otherwise you're double-minded. You're still half-believing lies that you've set up. You can't see the shadow. You know, a castle's very well designed. Those round turrets at the corner of a castle aren't just pretty architecture. They're so that you can see down the walls. There's no blind spots in a castle architecture. But we want to make sure we, we get rid of those blind spots. We might need other people to speak into our lives, be, be, be vulnerable about that. So, to, so if you think about the, the journey in was we're under attack from the world. There's a breach in our gates. We, usually we let stuff in. The enemy has a foothold in our kind of emotions, then a stronghold in our thinking. Then the next chapter in this book is heart attack. It goes out to the heart, then identity <laughs> theft. You know, he's trying to steal our identity. What he did to Adam and Eve, tried to tell them they were almost equal to God, but actually not under his authority to make them orphans. You know, we live in a kind of orphan world. And God, Jesus came to say, I want to make you, I will not leave you as orphans. What he said in John 14, very specific. we take you back into relationship as children of the Father. So the reverse of that process is to reestablish your identity in the throne room. Who am I in Christ? Who's the king of my castle? Reclaim your heart, renew your mind, restore your soul, you know, heal those damaged emotions, heal those, renew your thinking, strengthen the body. But you do it from a position, not in your own strength. You're doing this from a spiritual, we're living by the spirit, and that's how we live. We live from the inside out. And then we learn to defend, then we learn to defend the castle and restore the, the castle and the things that the enemy has, has stolen from us over the years. And we become a safe place for other people. A castle should be a, a sanctuary for other people. It should be a place where we can, where we can 
create space and, and resources for the widows, for the orphans, for the, all the people that Jesus reached out to. And we can't do that if we compromise all the time. And so, so it's, that was the picture that God gave me, the analogy of the castle. And for me, it was super helpful because they can't, I can see it. And most people go, yeah, I can imagine a castle. <laughs> you know, I'll just get a picture of one. So you, you, I just immediately had this mental picture, and it just played out throughout the book. And this idea that we got into the throne room, it's like, well, how do you defend yourself? Kind of counterintuitive not to run to the battlements, but actually, no, let's start in the throne room. And so there's a reversing of the process. It's actually a chiasma is what the literature does. It's a reversal. It's a, it's a pattern that we see in the Bible all the time and throughout Scripture, especially the Old Testament. There's all these chiastic structures where something is said several times and then reversed. Um, and I was looking at that, and God said, this is a chiasm as well. So <laughs> that's how the kind of reversal process came about. Wow. You know, it's it's it's... As I'm listening, as we're doing this interview, honestly, I know what's going to happen. So I'm going to go back and listen to this podcast 15 times and read your book 15 times because there's, it takes my mind and spontaneously in all kinds of different directions, different memories, different thoughts, different ideas, different insights. Like it's an explosion of, of mind activity as I talk to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Which makes it really hard to interview because my mind is just so enthralled and excited by these principles that you're talking about, by these truths that you're sharing with me. And I'm guessing the listeners uh, might be feeling that way at times too. Um, Identity, heart, emotions, thinking, you know, footholds. Uh, I I know um, Michael Lazan, I believe his name is has a program. I can't think of it right now, but I know a lot of our listeners will instantly think of the, the name of that ministry, but, but they do healing. They speak into to healing and breaking bonds, breaking lies and setting people free from the lies. And that just, that's where my head went. Um, when you talked about, you know, kind of identifying these, the root of these lies, like to get to the heart of them. Mm. Unbound, that's the name of the, the book or the, yeah, and, and the ministry as well to help people and, and to be helped and to allow ourselves to begin to be aware of, because like, I think we can grow oblivious to this stuff. Like you say, our conscience gets blunted and or our thinking shifts so much so that that we think it's a non-issue when it's anything that's not of God is a complete issue and mm. we know it. And if it's not dealt with, it begins to erode uh, the quality of our life, the quality of our joy, the quality of our ability to love, to be a parent, to be a father, to be a spouse, mm. um, to be a business owner, you name it. Like, like we are at our best when our life is in, in unity, is in alignment with God's will for us because he yeah. loves us. He's our biggest fan. It's the best news ever. Yeah. And yet, you know, being human is, uh, is serious business. <laughs> Not easy. I nearly said, or everyone will be doing it, but that doesn't make sense. Um, so, I, think, I think what you said about, you know, we, we do become sort of dull to this stuff, but I think theologically we become dull to this as well. We become very sort of humanistic in, in Christian circles about how we think about our issues. So there's a lot of stuff, you know, addiction is, we think is it a medical problem or a psychological problem or a sociological problem. We have programs that do all these things, and not, not, none of them are wrong. People, people yeah. sometimes need multi. I, I'm not putting forward this as a kind of silver bullet to sort out addiction. I say I'm very right. clear about that. Um, but I, what I do say is I think we need to understand the spiritual roots of addiction, which, isn't, which you will not find in mm. medicine, usually. Right. <laughs> and you won't find in kind of a lot of counseling and stuff like this, because mm. if we're to believe what Jesus said, we, we have as an enemy that is trying to steal, kill, and destroy in that order. And he wants to steal our faith. He wants to steal the word of God from us. Hear about this in the, in the parable of the sower. He wants to steal that, that relationship with God and replace it with a relationship with the world, the flesh, and, and, and the enemy, the devil, mm. the old, you know, the triptych of man's enemies. So, so I think. Um, I'm just trying to shed some light on what I think was really going on under the hood 
yeah. when I was dealing with this stuff. And um, for me, that was helpful. And so the book is full of scripture and it's full of prayers, actually, um, about how you start to at least address this stuff and, and put it before God. I think we do need help. Some people need to be in group and, uh, you know, dealing this with other people. Um, I don't like the word addict. <laughs> be clear about that. I think we're, it's we're it comes people who are, does it or? well, it's just, I don't, because of that identity thing, I, don't, I, I think it really doesn't do us or God justice to name somebody an addict. No, way more than that. They have addictive behavior. But you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a child of a king. Uh, you know, to call you just an addict, I'm an addict. Now, I know there's groups that live and die by that, but, but I've talked to some people who, who have been there, and they say, you know what? A lot of that is the minute I stop saying that, it, I'm driven by fear that I'll fall back into it myself an addict it's kind of ironic to think about it <laughs> so so i i just I, I think we need to be aware of the spiritual dimension and that's what i try and shed some light on in this and, and the castle analogy was super helpful because a picture a visual picture of kind of what's going on what, from my point of view what what I, what I saw happening with myself and others you know i've been around addiction mm-hmm. a lot of times in we've all had friends family um and I've been working in prisons for a long time. And, mm. and the level of addiction from these guys just monstrous. And so, so pernicious and difficult, completely dominating their lives. Um, so, and, and I work with those guys as well. So it's not really, a, it's not an academic piece, Ron. It's mm. not a medical piece. I don't pretend it is. Um, yep. But I think it's a spiritual window into maybe what's happening that could be helpful. Well, Peter, I wonder, you know, I, you know, I think when people hear the idea of, you know, the work that you do in prison stuff, people are shaking their head going, yeah, I can imagine that's true. But, you know, I think about one of the most deadly addictions right now affecting families. Yes, pornography would be one of them, but so is just the internet. Mm-hmm. And, and you think that's affecting everybody's kids and people don't know how to parent into that. And, and, you know, would these principles in terms of the way in and the way out of addictions, would those be similar for kids? Because, Again, they're just getting addicted to this stuff. The, 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 their heart absolutely prefers to be alone with games, some of them, than to be with family. And, and you know, it, and, and again, they'll defend it. They'll get angry when they don't get enough time. Like the same principles sound like they're at work. What are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting you say that, wrong because last night I had a dream. In fact, it was this morning before I woke up, and I was telling a bunch of kids about this book. You may, may not believe me. That, I've forgotten about it. I thought about it when I had it. I thought that dream's amazing. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll bring that in. But when you said that, I thought that, that that question is from the Lord, or the dream was, or both. Because I was, there were little kids, they were like nine, ten year olds, four or five of them, and I was just standing there. And for some reason, I was just telling them about the, the castle. I wouldn't tell them about the book. I was saying, look, you know, you like the castle. And I was explaining this to kids. And I was quite surprised that I was explaining it to kids. But maybe the Lord is saying, Mm. This is relevant for them too. And um, the good thing about something like an analogy of a castle, everyone likes it and everyone gets it. Uh, it's not new, by the way. The Teresa sure. of Avila, Interior Castle, all the mansions. Um, John Bunyan wrote uh, a book that was all about a city being invaded through the gates by the enemy. That kind of Christian life. So I, and I, I, I flag, I, you know, I give them. Um, I pick them up at the beginning of the book thing. It's not, it's not, I'm the first guy to yes. do this. Um, so so it's, a, it's a borrowed narrative. But actually, I came up with it before I knew that they had done it. So that was quite interesting. I was aware of Teresa Ravala, actually, but not John Bunyan's written it. But um, I think it's a, it's a metaphor, an analogy that people can relate to. Mm. I mean, you could have a kid's version of this quite easily. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I'm just thinking about the, you know, I hope that as people listen to this, men, you know, grab a handful of men, get the book and go through it together. It was to make a great Bible study or not. Well, there's lots of scripture in there too, but this would make a great study into something that could help you fortify one another uh, against the the attacks of the enemy. I, I think about youth group leaders, like 
take a look at this book and process it in terms of how this relates to younger people. And, you know, I think about couples, like couples can help each other by understanding this stuff. And, and, and like, there's just so many applications for this. You don't have to wait till addictions have you by the throat before you become spiritually aware of how we can let things in that are going to do damage to our relationships. I, I agree. I mean, there's already some group, there's a group running in South Africa at the moment around this book, which is encouraging. It's called Church Background. Um, I, I think the good thing is, Ron, that God wants to heal us. Amen. You know, if you look at that, I was, I was looking at the heart in the Bible. Um, because it sort of comes up, you know, it comes up with a theme. I thought I better, I better find out about what God thinks about this. So I, I was thinking about the heart. And I just, you know, we're over electro, electronic Bibles now. I think there's over 700 references to the heart in the Bible. God's right the way through the story is he's after our heart. That they wouldn't be hard, they would be turned to him. That he can turn and heal us. Uh, and this, this theme of heart right through the Bible is, 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 a, is a thread that runs all the way through. And that's good news because God wants to heal us. So in the middle of the book, there's a chapter called Crisis. <laughs> so, you know, when I realized I was in trouble here, and that scripture from, I had another dream, and God gave me this scripture about, um, I'll read it to you. This is, a, this is another one of those scary scriptures. It's from Jeremiah. So I had an app on. I was listening to the Bible on an app. I fell asleep. From Jeremiah. And I heard a pastor friend of mine speaking these words. So in my dream, I was hearing the words on the app, but it was a pastor friend of mine. From Jeremiah 30 saying this. But thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable. Your wound is severe. There is no one to plead your cause. You may that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicine. Medicine ain't going to fix it. All your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you. It's just the fantasy world. Mm. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable. Because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased, I've done these things. You just think, oh my goodness, what a chilling. And I woke up just terrified, to be honest, Ron. It was like the yeah. Lord speaking to me these words straight out of the Old Testament. So I grabbed my Bible and I, and I read on, but it says this Therefore, all those who devour you will be devoured. Hmm. And all your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become plunder, and all who prey upon you. I will make pray, but I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord. Mm. God made it quite clear that I was not going to get this addictive behavior sorted out by going to medicine, by going to anyone else. He was going to do it. So he put himself at the center of my healing. And that's why, again, the first place you go is not to the world, not to, it's to the throne room. And you, 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 you come to God, and he wants to take you on a journey to heal your heart, cure your wound, heal your wound. And that was massively encouraging for me. Uh, God wants us to sort this out. He wants us to bring it into the light. He wants us to, you know, do it together if we need to. But it's just, this is, this is an, this is, he gave me this book. And I don't want to sound grandiose saying that. It's like, you know. I don't know. It's like sometimes songwriters say, oh, the Lord gave me the song. Well, hmm. I need to work on it a bit. But, um, it's <laughs> but, but it really, it, you know, he, he made it clear that he wanted to be, he would, the only way I was going to get this sorted out was he is right at the center of the process. Hmm. Uh, and we, we just can't avoid that. And, and it would, but at the same time, massively encouraging that he wants to heal my heart. And that's what he said about doing and took me on a journey of, of Kind of reversing that, pushing those things out of my castle and defeating the giants, pushing them out, and, and uh, you know, it's still, it's still, there's still stuff running through the castle ground, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that just happens. 
<laughs> so we have to deal with this on a daily basis, but you just scruff now, I know what to do. I grab that thought by the scruff of the neck, bring it into obedience to God. You don't yeah. bring it in and try to defend it and try and make it okay and all this stuff, but you, you know, previous mm. behavior were done. So, um, but I think, Ron, I just want to say one thing about kind of getting ourselves sorted out. Men, men particularly want to fix stuff. You know, I just mm-hmm. moved into a new house. I spent about 30% of my time fixing stuff right now. So we just, <laughs> the electrician just left. But, um, so, so we want to fix stuff and we just kind of want to make it okay. We want to make ourselves okay. Well, I want to, I want to get to the point where I'm strong and I don't have any problems. I mean, that's the kind of temptation. But I don't think that is why God wants to bring us in a place of spiritual maturity. I'm pretty convinced that Spiritual maturity, for me at least, looks like complete dependence on him on a daily basis rather than independence from him, which is the temptation. I get myself so sorted out, I don't even need God. Jesus was really dependent on God right up to the last breath on earth, completely dependent on, on the Father. And that's where he wants to bring you into. So if my castle is made of stones, He's the mortar between the stones. Without him, it just falls apart. And that's, I think that's where he wants us. So that's why I think Paul says, I, I rejoice in my weakness. Because it means that he has to be my strength. So, mm-hmm. so this is, we can't do this on our own. Such a paradox, isn't it? I don't think we're supposed to. Yeah. It's such a paradox and it's such a beautiful paradox and there's surrender in there. There's peace in there. There's new life found in there. There's new ability to love found in there. The real you is found in there. I, I remember receiving a, an image, a dream myself. I was awake. I, I get my visions a lot of times while I'm awake, oddly enough, uh, and not a ton of them, but the odd time. But this one, as and even as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's like, you're describing so much of what I experienced in this vision that I was given, but I was, you know, kind of gladiator style doing battle with somebody. And, and, uh, and then I became aware that um, I'm fighting two people. I'm thinking, well, that's fine. And so now I'm fighting two people in this vision. And then all of a sudden I notice I'm fighting three people. I'm thinking, whatever, bring it on. Like I love a good fight. And so I'm fighting three people and um and then at one point, I was on one knee, still fighting, but noticed that I've been taking a few hits, and now there's not three, there's five. And now there's not five, there's ten. And, and all of a sudden, like, I'm getting tired, but I'm still happy to fight. Like, I'm happy to fight. And all of a sudden, somebody steps in front of me, and I'm kind of looking down so I can see the back of his heels. and. And that was a buffer between me and, and the fight. And all of a sudden, I, I kind of look at myself and I'm bleeding bad. Mm. Like I'm cut up and bleeding. And I realize I'm, I'm not doing good right now. And I looked up and there was a legion of people I was fighting. And I realized Jesus was the one standing between me and the enemy. And he was just holding them off. And when I saw the legion and I saw Jesus stand there and I saw how badly I was doing as I'm kneeling down on one knee, I realized I was never going to win. And as soon as I realized I was never going to win, it was like Jesus turned into this fierce warrior, just bulging just took his saber and just started slaying them and they went flying and he went on a rampage and annihilated all of them and when he was finished and i just stood there and when he was finished what i saw was this castle wall this inner castle wall and the dust was kind of settling and he was very far from me And uh, we just sat in silence and he just out of the corner of his eye, just gave me space. And there's a lot more to the vision, but I guess I just to say that everything that God has given you in this truth is revelation. This kind of it, I've experienced different parts of that vision and your book is going to help me dive into that more intentionally 
and cooperate with the grace that God wants to perform in me to make me more whole, wow. to give me more peace. Yeah. What occurs to me there is that Jesus was, was defending holy ground. Exactly. That's exactly what he said. This is sacred ground. And, yeah. and that's one of the other things he said when he started slaying them was, you don't belong here. And he cleaned house. He yelled it out as he was wow. just a fierce warrior. And, and when I, when it was all over and I, I finally looked to him, he knew no, no words were spoken. Instantly, he was right beside me. And he just leaned over as if to take off my breastplate. So it was just a gesture of, Will you let me? Didn't say anything. And I just nodded and he took it off. And then he, he just reached out for my sword, just as if, will you give that to me? I said, yeah. and he just laid down all of my armor. Wow. And I was completely vulnerable. And, and he was just saying, will you let me rebuild you? Like, will you let me? Like, you don't need these things. The way you've been coping with life, I get it. I want to, I want, I want to do that with you. Will you let me do that with you? It was, it was incredible. You know, and there are different times in my life I've gone back to that and there are different parts, times in my life that he's added on to it actually. But again, I really believe that your book is speaking directly to me. And as I unpack your book again, so I've already read it once, I'm going to read it again. Um, I'm going to take the reflection time and the prayer time to go back into that vision and just hear what God wants to say. That's extraordinary. I didn't realize that. Uh, the scripture that comes to mind is, is one of those scriptures that we're kind of told to use, which is resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Mm. And it's one of those scriptures that you've heard of maybe many times, and maybe it's kind of lost its power again because of... Mm disappointment of it not working like i said before it's not because the scripture is not powerful or true it's because our maybe we haven't applied it properly what the scripture really said if you look at the whole thing is submit yourself to then god resist the devil <laughs> so i see in that picture of you is that you were you were resisting the devil again walked around but as soon as you submit yourself to God, guess what happens? The devil's out of it. Come back into that place of laying our crowns down. I call it you take it, take, taking your armor off, you know, just not yeah. fighting this on our own. We cannot do this on our own. No. We're not supposed to do it on our own. What's the point if we're kind of in, in so strong we don't need help? We don't need God, you know, and he wants relationship with us, and he wants mm -hmm. us to have relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. Always vertical and horizontal across. He brings us into relationship with himself. If you look at the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament prophets, the thing that makes God angry is the way we treat him with idolatry and the way that we treat each other. Those are the two major themes of the kind of angry prophet. That's <laughs> when God gets, gets mad with people, is when we're not treating him right, we're not treating each other right. And and that's a very broad sweep of scripture, I must admit. But but I think you know those themes are kind of <laughs> run through the Old Testament. And Jesus as well. He said, you know, God first, then look after each other. God first, look after each other. So um This is a I different way. And my hope yeah. for this book is that, you know, because you just said, you know, if if we're so strong, we're so powerful, then we don't need God. And and I have a, a lot of really wonderful people in my life who would say that, like, I, I don't need God. Like they're financially well off. They've got great families. They have great careers. They haven't church, not Jesus. God's not been a part of their life. And, and, and my hope is for this book is that, you know, cause so, so, sometimes love and beauty drive you, but sometimes it's your own personal experience. If we take the time to reflect, this book is going to cause men to reflect people to reflect. And if we honestly reflect, we will see our poverty. And that is a gift from God. When you see your brokenness, when you see your weakness, that is a gift. That's not something that you need to fix because that's the opportunity for invitation. 
Yeah. I think the I think it's I think it's in Romans, the gift of repentance. Mm. Repentance is a gift from God. Amen. You don't often think of it as a gift, but it's really you know, I pray that some like you say, I've got friends who don't need God, but one day they will, and it usually comes in a pretty crash. And um, it was me; I was I was on the ropes. I really was. And um, my prayers, you know, people say, "Oh, people only turn to God when they're desperate." Well, yeah, you can touch Him anytime. Just, <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll he'll answer you anytime. It's just that we don't ask Him till we're desperate. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's, it's not Him; it's us. And and um, I I just. Yeah, I pray that it does open up some kind of uh, reflection, like you say, of our inner life. Uh, and I think it helps do that. Yeah. What's your hope for the book, Peter, as we wrap up? What's your hope for this book? I you know, Ron, it's, it's, uh, my wife really uh, encouraged you about this. It's, I don't really have a hope for the book. Uh, what I hope, I have a hope for restored life. Uh, mm. And if God wants to use this book, um, that's great. Part of it because it'll be it'll be part of a journey it might be the beginning part of a journey for people but i think in the church we are i think there is a quiet crisis going on of missing mm. men just missing either, either they're there and they're kind of not emotionally present yeah. or, or they're just gone i've lost so many friends ron in ministry we, we used to minister we used to go to the house of the lord together as i said in the psalms but where are, you know they're, they're gone and I'm 30 years into the ministry now, and it breaks my heart that I can see ruined castles all the, 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 along, the tra- mm. along the trail. And to restore, to restore us to the lives that God has for us, mm. to be the men and women of God, when he breathed life and he had vision for our life, destiny, mm. that the things, the great things he could see us doing, there's greatness in us, Ron, all of us. All of us, because we're in the image of God, we're made in the image of God, we have the spirit living in him. There's nothing we can't do with God. So restoring those lives, and I see people who have stepped out, they're missing in action, and to bring them back in. Be the man of God, be the woman of God that he, that he made you to be. And you know there's more. Don't live a dull, compromised life. But let's, let's restore, allow him in to restore our castle. Um, and if God wants to use this little book, it's only a thin book, but if he wants to use it, um, I'd be blessed by it. That would be wonderful. You mentioned that um, people giving you know, reviews isn't necessarily something you're seeing as much of as, as maybe you would like and, and, and for reasons maybe of privacy. But if somebody did want to encourage you with how your book has impacted them, is there, are there other ways they could share Yeah, that? I mean... We've got a, there's a little website, kingofthecastle.net. Okay. You can contact me on that. Just drop a line, there's a little contact form. Oh, that would be great. That's, yeah. That's, is that, you can, there's some more information. I think our previous podcast is on there. You kindly let me put it oh, on good. there. So my story's on there, um, as filtered through Ron Huntley. Great. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's, there's a little website around the book and um, things. You can get it in Amazon Canada. And, USA or wherever Amazon is, you can buy the book. Awesome. Either, either digitally or hard copy. So, yeah. Thank Love you, it. Thanks for You're welcome. And it was podcast 21 that we opened, but I'd encourage you to make a trip over to Peter's website. That would be if you, because it really was a beautiful podcast that we did together as you shared your witness and story. So Peter, thank you again for, for, receiving this because i do believe this is revelation that you received uh, and for great reason at a great time in, in in our culture and our history and i pray that this book will get into the hands of all kinds of people even if you're not a person who you consider yourself with addictions this book will protect you from addictions will protect you from the ploys of the enemy so it's not you know let's get this book and let's have this conversation let's consider theologically the impact sin can have us on us and how it can change us in ways that that we don't see coming that we didn't sign up for and that we didn't bargain for but the good news is that god has a way out and he wants to restore us and so i love that message of hope peter thank you for being my guest today
I believe Peter's book has been a gift of revelation. Why not go over to his website or jump on Amazon and pick up several copies for Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day, people's birthdays, whatever it is. Get this book into your hands and the hands of some people you know and have some significantly important conversation. Thanks for listening. Please take the time to subscribe and share with your friends. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.